It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner, and we got a good one in store today. We had a good one in store yesterday, but uh, the Internet got broke, and uh, about halfway through the show, we went off the air for a little while. I was able to get a show cobbled up and put back together for some of the repeats later in the day and for our repeat on uh, 92.1 FM at 9 p.m., but... uh, uh, my apologies for that. Just, uh, um, just in brief, what happened was there was a, a very brief power outage, just a, a flickering, but it knocked our internet out, which uh, shut down the studio and our phone lines um, till about two thirty, three o'clock yesterday afternoon. So it was a while before I could get things up and running again, but they are running and with any luck they'll run smoothly today as we uh, talk to uh, several uh, or at least three uh, very interesting guests. Donna Anderson, the creator of lovefraud.com, has a, uh, a new book coming out this month, Senior Sociopaths, How to Recognize and Escape Lifelong Abusers. That's uh, Donna Anderson will be joining me during the third half of our three-hour tour. And in the uh, middle, the second hour uh, of our three-hour tour, we're going to talk with uh, uh, singer, songwriter, uh, musician Patrick Girondi, I think that's how you say his name. I'm not even sure how to say the name of uh, his book that's coming out later this month. Flight of the Rondone, or Rondoni. I don't know. He'll have to explain that all to us. It's uh, High School Dropout versus Big Pharma, The Fight to Save My Son's Life. And we're going to hear some of his music, and we're going to talk about his upcoming book and uh, all of that. Uh, But we start out this first hour with uh, Pastor Douglas Brower talking about his book, Chasing After Wind. And uh, and tomorrow uh, is Armchair Politics, and we're going to start out tomorrow talking to the GOP candidates uh, for governor in Michigan, and uh, the first of several tomorrow. <music> Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. My guest this hour uh, spent um, 40 years as a uh, Presbyterian pastor, and he's written a book about his uh, <coughs> experiences and his reflections. 
called Chase, uh, Chasing After Wind, A Pastor's Life. Um, his name is uh, Douglas uh, Brower, and he joins me by phone. Good morning, Doug. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Tom. It's good to be with you. You know, you know, there's that great song in uh, in the movie White Christmas. Uh, what do you do with a general when they stop being a general? What do you do with a pastor <laughs> when they stop being a pastor? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's dangerous to have too much time uh, on one's hands. I uh, I haven't left it behind entirely. I I did a, a short interim stretch, and I'm about ready to do another one. So no, pastors don't stop being pastors. You know, it's interesting. You you talk about your experiences um, as you look back on it. You seem a little frustrated about the administration part of it the the day-to-day operational management of a church as opposed to really doing the kind of ministering you felt called to do um why why choose something as as traditional as for example where I went to church when I was a little boy the presbyterian church um as as opposed to I, I I don't know Doug missionary work you know there there were certainly lots of choices you could have made. Yeah, that's a good question. I think the the attraction uh, to a larger church, which is uh, more complicated and and demands more administrative oversight, the attraction is that, that that's a stable way of life and the pay tends to be better and uh, you know there's more security that way. Well, and people don't think of pastors yeah. as really, you know, making a lot of money unless, you know, unless they've got a really good TV deal. But, um, <laughs> but, but in reality, some of the bigger, more stable churches probably it's more possible to make a decent living. Well, if nothing else, I hope that readers get that uh, from the book, that pastors do pay attention to their financial security. They they live uh, precariously. So, yes, I think uh, people need to understand that pastors do think about that. You know, it's it, one of the things that, that people looking in on the clergy from outside are are they often uh, ranking everything according to the rules priests follow? Uh, I'm not exactly sure uh, what you mean by that. Well, I'm just um, saying we have this impression about priests being married to the church and being celibate uh, and you know having these these standards that they that they live by and and I just wonder if Pastors don't find people on the outside looking in, comparing them to priests. Well, let me try to answer it this way. Uh, one of my the first reviewers of the book uh, remarked that reading the book is like encountering your elementary school teacher at the grocery store. You just don't imagine that this person has a life outside the school, just as you don't imagine that a, a pastor 
has a life outside the church, but what the the book tries to do is to demonstrate that a pastor's life is full with uh, family and um, <laughs> other obligations. And if, so, I, I mean, my hope is that church members will begin to see their pastors as as human beings you know, with a full range of, of needs and expectations. Is it a calling or a pursuit? Yeah, I wrestle uh, with that question quite a bit. When I started out in ministry, I clearly thought of it as vocation, something I was called to do. I had a what I would describe as a life-changing experience that uh, you know, compelled me to choose that as a way of life. And then uh, over the years, you, you, you don't totally lose sight of that, but you get caught up in uh, trying to be the best you can be and better than your <laughs> seminary classmates. And it, it, you, you tend to treat what you do as a career more than a calling. And, and what I tried to argue is that the, I and I hope other pastors never forget why they responded to the call in the first place. It is a wonderful vocation. It's, um, I mean, I, I, I can weep over what I was allowed to do with my life. Doug, a lot of people have been talking about um, the impact of COVID-19 this last couple of years. Um, on businesses, on institutions, churches, uh, all kinds of things, and talking about a great resignation. Um, yeah, yeah. A lot of people are rethinking what they want to do for a living, and, um, you know, people stopped going to church, the ones that were going to church. But I want to talk about that great resignation for a minute, because... Um, Church attendance and church membership has been in decline for decades in the U.S., you know, long before the pandemic came along. Um, did you feel like you were, and, and I, this is going to sound a little facetious because that's kind of how I am, um, did you feel like you were rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic? Not the image I would have used, but yes, I get what you're <laughs> you're aiming at. Uh, but do you know when what I was I mean? ordained way back in in 1980? It was clear already then that at least the mainline church uh, was beginning to decline. Soon thereafter, the the evangelical churches would experience their own decline. But so already in the 80s, it was clear that uh, the, the mainline church was losing some cultural influence. And instead of looking forward, instead of uh, preparing ourselves for a different kind of future, the the response of the mainline churches, especially the Presbyterian church, was to fight back. And we fought back with, uh, <laughs> if you can believe this, with evangelism. We started to uh, train our people uh, in sharing their faith, and the idea was not that, uh, you know, we were going to uh, win more souls for Christ. The idea was that we were going to fill those pews again and get back on top, which is what we knew and what we, where we thought we belonged. So, yes, the, the, this idea of decline has been with me throughout uh, my ministry. Now, I did serve uh, one church, the longest stretch of all, where we 
experienced tremendous growth. And what I remember thinking back then was, you know, I mean, not only was I pleased about it, but I remember thinking, well, this is the way things are supposed to be. This is the way it was in my childhood where the church was full every Sunday. And so instead of feeling <laughs> gratitude for it or amazement, what I thought was, yeah, okay, now we're, we're doing it the way we're supposed to be doing it. You know, it's interesting when you talk to people about religion and faith, um, very often you get this feedback from people, well, I don't belong to any church, and I don't attend church, but I'm very spiritual. And I want to explore that a little bit with you, Doug. Um, And I'm sure you've run into that as well. Is it possible for people and I know a lot of people would answer this yes, but is it possible for people to have a relationship with God and and to practice their faith without belonging to a church? Or um, do you think that, that the shepherding that, that pastors and ministers and priests do is important to help people know how to practice their faith? Well, it's not an either-or. I think uh, I think the answer to both of those questions is actually yes. I, I'm we're well aware. You are well aware. I am uh, aware that uh, not only is church attendance has declined, but people are not thinking in terms of church relationships anymore. Uh, and yet, if you listen to them, they still ask deeply spiritual questions. Our our spiritual nature has not gone away. So, so the second part of your your question is is that formed in a community of faith? And I would say yes. I mean, one of the best ways to grow in in one's spiritual life, and one of the best ways to find answers to spiritual questions, is in a spiritual context in a community of faith. But for lots of reasons, cultural reasons, <laughs> there's a lot of skepticism these days about those communities of faith well there's a a lack of trust in any form of officiating whether it's elected officials or leaders from the scientific community there's there's just this this complete and total lack of trust in any sort of authority and i don't know how we get that back Pardon me. And I don't know how we get that back. Right. I'm. I'm certainly. I certainly have no ideas about how the culture itself recovers trust in institutions. But yes, the the church has just been one more institution that's found itself uh, without the trust of of the the rest of the culture. Yeah, I'm well aware of that. I I think what the church needs to do this is my own preliminary thinking on the subject is that the church needs to regroup and think deeply about what it what it should be what it ought to be and i think some of the answers will emerge when if if the church can let go of what it used to be and uh, look to embrace some kind of new identity more with pastor turned author douglas brewer straight ahead 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Bye from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You are, you've always got great questions and you know the material and you, and you care about it and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County. Where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods. And in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Babies come with lots of decisions. Cloth or disposable? Crib or bassinet? 
So when it comes to protection, go with the safest, most effective choice, vaccination. Get all the recommended vaccines for your baby by age two to protect your child against 14 serious childhood diseases. For more reasons to vaccinate, talk to your child's doctor. Go to cdc.gov vaccines or call 800-CDC-INFO. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with pastor-turned-author Douglas Brewer, straight ahead. Hey, Doug, you studied philosophy. Is there a significant difference between philosophy and theology? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I was a philosophy major in college, it's true, and I did that not because I thought it would... Uh... <laughs> Helped me in the business world uh, one day, but we had some amazing teachers in the philosophy department. So what what I learned, looking back, what I learned in college was how to think. Uh, what developed were my critical thinking skills. And I think that's applicable to any area of life, including theology. I think there was a time historically, I'm not an expert in in this, but I think there was a time when theology was regarded as the queen of sciences. So at the time, I guess theology would have informed every area of life. But for me, philosophy was a way to start thinking, knowing how to ask questions, how to find answers, that sort of thing. You know, a couple of minutes ago, um, Doug, you mentioned that, that you think the, that the church as an institution and the various, uh, uh, components within it, um, various uh, disciplines and, and so on, need to rethink themselves. And that raises um, a, a question for me. I've, I've often said on my show that I think the two documents in human history that have been the most uh, abused and misquoted and, and uh, misused were uh, the U.S. Constitution and the Holy Bible. Um, <laughs> and I, I guess my point is, you know, a lot of people look at the Constitution and say, you know, there are, are people who believe that the Constitution is a very literal document. There are some that believe it's a living document and subject to a certain amount of interpretation and change. And and what about the Bible? There are so many things from the Bible that are used to justify bad behavior. Um, and, and a lot of um, writing about faith and, and Christianity in particular um, all have their roots in this one book. Is it a living document? Are there things that are not to be taken literally and some things that can be extrapolated from from parables and other things that, that have much bigger meaning than they're often given? Yeah, I think you are already anticipating the answer here. The The Bible is a marvelous book, but it's it's by no means homogeneous. In other words, the, the Bible has history, and it has poetry, and it has, uh, as you say, story. Uh, Jesus was a, a marvelous storyteller. Yeah, yeah the, the Bible is a collection of uh, 
uh, literary genres and to approach each book or each chapter of the Bible in the same way, to ask the same questions of each, uh, it's just to invite a misunderstanding. So uh, the Bible, like most kinds of literature, requires some knowledge and background and study. And, you know, for some of us, <laughs> that's an exciting endeavor. We, uh, I, I loved uh, I love my uh, Old Testament and New Testament classes. Uh, I wish I had a dollar uh, for every time a church member said to me, uh, Scripture is clear, <laughs> because I wanted to say, uh, you know, centuries of debate have gone on over whatever subject you just raised, and Scripture is, not qu- is often uh, not quite as clear as you think. Well, I wonder about that because I, I, depending on on who I talk to and and how they describe their particular practice of faith, um, I'm I'm always kind of curious to to draw a distinction between whether it's a discipline or an exploration. In in terms of the Bible, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, it can't be both. I mean, the Bible can be read in a more academic way, which is how I was trained during seminary days, anyway, to read it. So uh, it's not happening much anymore. But I was introduced to the original languages, Greek and Hebrew, and I read scholarly accounts of the Bible. So that's one way to to read the Bible. But the Bible can also be read uh, devotionally with rich meaning i mean you know there are there are people who read the bible and then have long periods of silence in between so i mean the bible is one of these marvelous uh, books that can be used in any number of ways so it doesn't come down to a simple uh, either or what what made you want to Share your your um, your thoughts and 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 your memories of of your career as a pastor. Was it running into your third grade teacher at the grocery store? <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, well, I'll say a couple of things in response to this. One is that there has been a series of novels uh, written by uh, Jan Karen. Uh, I think she's written thirteen in all some of which have made the New York Times bestseller list. And, and the series of novels is based on a fictional father, Tim. And at least some of the time, he's a priest in uh, a fictional town known as Mitford. A- anyway, she's a terrific writer, and these stories are wonderful. And the truth of the matter is I never identified once with Father Tim's life as a, a priest. So so this goes back years now, I, I thought, we need a realistic portrayal of what it means to be a pastor. And Father, there may be some Father Tims out there, God bless them, <laughs> but that's not uh, an accurate description of all of us. So, okay, the second part of uh, second part of what I would say to you is, uh, as soon as I retired, I found myself plunged into a life review. I, I suddenly had all this time on my hands, at least it felt like a lot of time, and I didn't look for this i didn't expect it didn't want it and uh and yet i could not avoid it so i started rethinking my entire 40-year 
ministry. I wondered what was good about it, what I wish I hadn't spent so much time on. And so that's what the book comes from, this uh, desire to give an accurate picture, at least from my point of view, an accurate picture of what it looks like to be a, a Christian pastor. You know, I'm I'm a fan of um, mystery and and um, that particular genre of writing, and so I've you know I'm I'm a fan of stories like the Rosary Murders and all that, and and I have to admit to a, just a little tiny bit of a letdown, Doug, when I uh, discovered Chasing <laughs> After Wind wasn't uh, <laughs> wasn't a faith based murder mystery. <laughs> no so you didn't not. solve I, I, crimes while you were being a pastor <laughs> is, is what i'm getting at doug no part of me wishes i was a vicar in an you know an english in the english countryside <laughs> uh, having lots of time to solve mysteries <laughs> that would be a wonderful way of life too um, no, it, but it, it, let me say this. Even though there's yeah. no uh, mystery that's solved, I hope there's a narrative arc where, you know, this bright-eyed uh, pastor starts out full of idealism and enthusiasm and then encounters disillusionment along the way and thinking, what am I doing? Well, I'm spending so much time on pointless matters. But the, the, the arc continues until the end when I think there's a... <laughs> You know, from a literary point of view, I hope there's a resolution at the end where I, I, I come to the realization that I was allowed to do something amazing with my life. And so at the end, there's this overwhelming feeling of, of gratitude for the life I have been given. But yes, disillusionment, uh, frustrations, all of that. But, you know, thank goodness there is a mystery solved. Uh, at the end of my story. Well, Doug, that's one of the things that that I, I drew from reading about your book is that you, while you acknowledge the everyday workaday make a living of a pastor's life, you also are able to isolate and identify some of the opportunities you were given and the role that you were able to play in people's lives that was, in fact, rewarding. Can you share a couple of examples without spoiler alerts or using names? Yeah. I, I th I'll give an example that may come as a surprise to most people. You know, I, th I think most people would assume that uh, officiating at a funeral, for example, is a terrible deal that you know, in fact uh, i remember a specific incident where where there was a big funeral service for a young person often the younger you are the more people would attend your funeral so we're on our way into the the church auditorium or sanctuary and one of the ushers holding the door said to me you know, i don't envy you having to do this like he was <laughs> and there wasn't time to have a conversation at that moment but I, and I know he was trying to express his concern for me, and it did seem like a daunting task. But here's the thing, and I think most pastors will recognize the truth in this. What a privilege to be invited by a family into their grief, uh, to, to be able to sit with them 
to be able to find the words on that occasion that they are unable to speak on their own is, as I describe in the in the book, is a holy moment. I, I've never felt so privileged as I did in those moments to work with uh, grieving families. And I'll, I'll, I'll take this one step further. And again, this might be surprising to uh, your listeners. I'm guessing that the overwhelming majority of pastors would prefer to officiate at a funeral uh, over a, a wedding. And the, and, and the reason for that is, is pretty simple. It's surprising, isn't it? Well, no. I was actually going <laughs> to ask, Doug, if when you're officiating over weddings with the, uh, with the divorce rate we have in this country, oh. if you're not whispering <laughs> off to the side, I give it 18 months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I tried not to think about that. <laughs> No, but the, it, 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 I think I, I can put this pretty simply too. In a in a wedding situation, the yeah, if there's a religious uh, dimension to it or a spiritual dimension, fine. Uh, but let's get to the reception where we can have fun. But uh, in a funeral, I think people are actually asking serious questions, and you know, not that all questions can be answered at that moment, but there's a spiritual searching and questioning that goes on at that time. And I think that's what pastors respond to. And that's where they feel needed. And, um, you know, that, that, that's where they think their training becomes important. It almost feels, um, you know, when you're officiating over a wedding, I would imagine that there are all kinds of opportunities ahead of the joining couple to make corrections to you know do things with their lives whereas at a funeral there's there's a certain air about it that almost seems like the last chance to ask (laughs) well don't get me wrong i loved probably every wedding or just about every wedding i was asked to officiate it so Yes, developing a relationship with a couple, spending time with them uh, ahead of the ceremony. I loved all of that, so I don't want to diminish how important that was. But uh, at a at a funeral service or in the the it maybe even more so the the planning that goes into uh, getting ready for a service. I mean that I think that requires some pastoral skill and. insight you know you have, have to figure out what's going on with this family and what are they th- thinking what do they most need to hear what what is it that they want to express so yes i <laughs> i i think that in a a funeral uh, there is a you have to demonstrate have a pastor has to be able to demonstrate some very good skill knowledge whatever you want to call it well, Doug, I, um, I, you know, I, w- I was going to joke, you sound like a regular guy, but I've had so many wonderful conversations with uh, pastors and priests over the year that, or over the years, that I, uh, you know, I, I, I really sort of knew what to expect a little bit from the tone of your book. Hmm. Good. And, um... And, of course, I always give, um, I'm always curious about what's next. Um, You mentioned you might be 
looking to pastor again. Is there more writing in your future? Well, I hope there is. The next project hasn't come to mind, but um, as you know from uh, reading the book, I spent the last uh, five years or so uh, of my career pastoring a church in Europe. And uh, I I haven't signed the contract yet, but it, it looks like I'm going to be going back uh, this time, uh, not to Switzerland, but to the Netherlands, and I'm going to be pastoring one of these international uh, churches again uh, while they search for a permanent pastor. So I'll be there, I don't know, up, up to nine months, let's say. And uh, so, yes, <laughs> I'm guessing that uh, a story or a book may emerge from that experience as well. Well, I I hope so, and I always give guests an opportunity uh to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your book and your work, past, present, and future. Do you have a website? Yes. Um, I used to have a website. Now I have a Substack account, and it functions as a newsletter. Anybody who goes to Doug's blog at uh, Substack uh, can find my regular writing. Well, Doug, thank you so much for uh, sharing your time and some of your memories and observations with me and the listeners this morning and in your book, and uh, keep up the good work. Tom, it's been a pleasure to talk with you. Thanks for having me on. All right. Take care. That was uh, Douglas Brower. He is the author of uh, a book, Somewhat of a memoir called Chasing After Wind, A Pastor's Life. And we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. yesterday. You know what my minister told me? He was saying how much pressure women are under from the devil and how the devil just hounds women. You know, that's rough too, being a minister. I mean, he told me, he said, you're coming here complaining about your problems and I got to wage this constant battle against the devil. I said, yeah, Rev. (laughs) He told me his wife came in the house a few days before and she had this box. And on the side of this box was written the name of a very exclusive dress shop. The lowest dress was $85. That was on sale. (laughs) So she walks in the house and Rev says, Another dress? You bought another dress? This is ridiculous. That's the third dress this week. And his wife tells him, The devil made me buy this dress. (laughs) Said, I didn't want to buy no dress. The devil kept following me. I was going down the street going, Mm-hmm. And the devil kept following me And he kept telling me how good I look <laughs> Rev said, I'm not going for that he said, every time you do something wrong You blame it on the devil he said, you blamed it on the devil When you ran the car to the side of the church <laughs> It was the devil You wasn't there How do you know? He grabbed the steering wheel out of my hand Rev said, well, why didn't you step on the brake? Said, because when he grabbed the steering wheel, I tried to kick him. 
Get you to buy the dress. She said, I was going out of there. <laughs> and the devil sneaked up behind me. Sneak. I heard him tip it to you know. I didn't want to look around because I knew it was the devil, you know. <laughs> that devil came up behind me, he said, he said, uh, see, mama, look at the dress in the window there. <laughs> said, that's your size, too. He said, it's on sale, too. Got a lot of them flowers in it like you like, you know. So why don't you treat yourself to that dress? And I told him, you better cut that out, devil. <laughs> I already bought two dresses this week. I'm not gonna buy no dress. I'm not even gonna look at it. The devil said, well, why don't you try it on? He said, I'm not gonna charge, charge you nothing to try it on. I mean, that's free. You owe yourself a try on. <laughs> I said, devil, you better leave me alone. <laughs> and he shoved me in the door. The devil just shoved me in that door. He pushed me in the door. I said, devil, stop it, please. <laughs> then, then, then he shoved me over to where the dress was. I said, cut it out, devil. <laughs> then he threatened me and made me try it on. Devil said, you gonna buy that dress? I said, I'm not buying no dress, devil. And he pulled a gun. <laughs> devil pulled a gun and he threatened me and made me sign your name to a check. Rip <laughs> said, look, said, how come every time the devil makes you do something, it's something for your benefit? When's the devil gonna do me a favor? And his wife tells him, he did already. I asked the devil about that. He said, if it wasn't for him, you wouldn't even have a job. <laughs> This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. to trust the CDC and listen well unless you want to bid our free society farewell there is a super bad transmittable contagious awful virus and if we don't act quick and social distance it will mire us in a stretch of quarantine that lasts until July a super bad transmittable contagious awful virus and if you got a better cough in your arm and if you got a better <coughs> now back in 1918 influenza had its run but half the docks were busy overseas with world war one today we have mass media and scientists to say if you don't want this virus well then stay six feet away super damn important that we practice isolation because we are asymptomatic while it's an incubation will overwhelm our hospitals if there's not mitigation it's super damn important that we practice isolation 
If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. And so I hope at last you'll take this lesson here to heart. Cause it's already scary and we're only at the start. If you get bored, just think of the immunocompromised. Who can't go much of anywhere unless it's sterilized. Oh, super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. If we don't act quick and social distance, it will mire us. In a stretch of quarantine, the lesson to dry a super bad, transmittable. Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hugger, and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. (laughs) Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed. It's a robocall. Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, file a complaint with my office online at mi.gov robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it, you're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 15th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Lynn Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg. Lynn Community Schools. 
MTA Flint, Flint Comics and Entertainment, Hamity Complete Food Center, the Flint River Watershed Coalition, WH Weiscarver, the Genesee County Road Commission, Lone Museum Auto Fair, Thomas Appliance, the Genesee Health Plan, Flipflip Technology, Mark Community College, it's Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to Tom at TomSumnerProgram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner program is provided by Swiftlet Technology. Engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Ladies and gentlemen, in Philip Rapp's creation, the Bickerson. <laughs> For once, the walls of the Bickerson's apartment do not resound with the persistent snoring of husband John, more's the pity. There can be only one reason for this astounding phenomenon. John Bickerson is not home. Two o'clock in the morning finds Mrs. Bickerson on the telephone with Sister Clara. Let's listen. What did you say, Blanche? I said I haven't heard from John since he left for work. You'd think he'd telephone me or something. Well, maybe he tried to call. You've had the phone tied up for over an hour, Blanche. You've called me three times. He's never done this before. I think he wants to upset me. He gets so angry every time I spend a dollar. He says I'm the biggest spendthrift in California. Am I, Clara? I don't think so. Well, John does. And you know how careful I am about money. Yes, well, I have to give the baby his bottle. You do? What time is it there in New York? It's almost 5.30 in the morning. Georgie gets a bottle every two hours now. He's four weeks old. He isn't gaining much, though. Well, what does he weigh? 61 pounds. I don't like the doctor we have now. He thinks George is too heavy. Well, I think he's the cutest little thing I ever saw. Oh, did John's shoes fit him all right? Well, they pinch a little in the toes. Oh, well, you can get them fixed. Oh, I think John's here. Goodbye, Clara. John! I can't find the blasted light switch. Oh, I'm so glad you're home, sweetheart. I'm in here. Huh? Never mind the lights. Come to bed, darling. Oh, I must have the wrong apartment. Uh, excuse me, madam. John, come back here. Oh, hello. Where have you been? Working. Let me get undressed. I'm exhausted. Why didn't you call... Don't throw your good coat on the floor, John. You can sweep it up in the morning. No call, no message, no nothing. Why didn't you call? Didn't have a nickel. You did, too. You had a quarter in your pocket this morning. Who did you take to dinner tonight? The whole chorus from Earl Carroll's. That's me, boy, Diamond Jim Bickerson. Don't be so funny. Oh, I'm not funny. I'm exhausted. I bet you never even thought of calling me. Other men call their wives... If Mel Shaw leaves the house for even five minutes, he calls Louise. Calls her what? That lot you care about me. I've been sitting here worrying myself into a stew. What did you eat? Stew. John Bickerson, 
Let me look at you. Are you sure you've been in the office till now? Well, where do you think I've been? I don't know. You didn't pass a cocktail bar on your way home, did you? I never pass a cocktail bar. That's what I thought. You had a drink. I did not. You had more than one. I didn't have any. Then why are you trying to take your pants off over your head? What pants? This is the sweater you made for me out of your old slacks. I'm the only man in town with a V-neck seat. Stop complaining. It keeps you warm. Put out the lights, Blanche. I can't hold my eyes open. John, you're not going to sleep in that horrible old sheepskin vest. Well, I'm cold. Take it off. It looks hideous. Nobody sees it. Now you just get up and put on some pajamas. I hate pajamas. They strangle me. Well, you can't wear that thing. Can too. What if there's a fire? I won't go. Good night, Blanche. You just get out of that bed and hang up your clothes. Don't leave them for me. Blanche, I'm sleepy. I'm always crawling under the dresser and picking up your collar buttons. I pick up your ties and I pick up your handkerchiefs. What do you think I am, a vacuum cleaner? No, Blanche, a vacuum cleaner can be turned off. Look, Blanche, do me a favor, will ya? I worked 18 hours today. Just let me close my eyes for a couple of hours, will ya? I'm afraid. The minute you fall asleep, you'll start snoring. No, I won't snore. I never snore. How can you say that? You've never missed a single night since the second day we were married. You snore on Monday, you snore on Tuesday, on Wednesday you snore, on Thursday you snore, so what'll you do tonight? Oh, for the love of... (sighs) Nobody would believe it. I'm married to a cellar pump. John, John, you promised you wouldn't snore. And the minute you close your eyes, you start it. John! Blanche, what do you want from me? I won't stand for it. Go sleep in the guest room. We haven't got a guest room. If you were a good husband, you'd see that we had two guest rooms. You used to have plenty of ambition before we were married. Whatever hmm. happened to your get up and go? He got up and went. I might have known you like you are. Selfish, inconsiderate, thoughtless. You didn't even send me a Valentine card. St. Valentine's Day isn't until tomorrow. It's still tonight. Tonight was yesterday. Today is tomorrow. What? And I know you didn't send a card because you didn't send me one last year. Well, I forgot last year. You always forget. You forgot my birthday. You, I bet you don't even know when you married me, do you? No, I don't. John Bickerson... You don't know when you married me? When? Oh, I thought you said why. I suppose you think you great catch. I could have married a half dozen of the wealthiest men in town. No, I had to fall for your smooth talk. You kept calling me your buried treasure, didn't you? Didn't I what? Didn't you always call me your buried treasure? Maybe I did. Well, what have you got to say now? I'm sorry I dug you up. Good night, Blanche. Sorry you dug me up. There wasn't another girl in our crowd who would ever have given you a second look. Oh, I don't know about that. Most of those dames thought I had what it takes. Well, maybe you had it. But who took it? And what did I get out of this marriage? Jewels? No. Clothes? No. Money? No. What did I get? No. I'll tell you what I got. A one-room apartment and a leaky icebox. 
A leaky icebox? Every night my pillow was wet from my tears. Put a pan under it. You're not listening to me. You don't care what happens. I wish I'd never been born. Oh, Blanche, what's the matter with you? Why don't you go to sleep? How can I sleep? How can I sleep when I know you don't love me? Who said I don't love you? Well, you never tell me you do. I tell you a thousand times a day. I offered to pay a man $50 for a six-inch tattoo that says, John loves Blanche. Why did you object? Because it would show when I wore my evening gown. Well, I was going to let him do it on me, too. Anything to put a stop to that same question night after night after night. If you'd only say it once of your own accord, I'd never ask you. Okay, I love you. Do you love me only? Yes. When I'm away from you? Yes. Well, say it. I love you only when you're away from me. Yes, <laughs> you do. Maybe that's why you stayed out, cavorting, until two o'clock this morning. I wasn't cavorting, I was working. What for? Because I get paid for overtime and we need the money. I have to make a payment on my car next week, $84. <gasps> Where will you get that? Oh, I got it. It's in the desk drawer. No, it isn't. It is, too. I looked yesterday. You didn't look today. Oh, Blanche. Well, there's only $60 in that drawer, John. What happened to the other $24? Don't look at me. Listen, Blanche, there are only two people who have a key to that drawer, you and I. And $24 is missing. Well, let's each put back $12 and say no more about it. I knew it. I knew it. What did you blow it on? Well, I had to pay the phone bill. I made a few long-distance calls. Long-distance calls? Who did you call for $24? My sister, Clara. I was worried. She had a tooth pulled. How could you squander my money like that? I deny myself everything. Do I even buy toothpaste? No. I've been brushing my teeth with a whisk broom. I stick tinfoil in my cavities to save on dentist bills. I've been wearing an upper plate that belongs to my cousin. And she calls New York every five minutes. Don't make such a fuss. Claire is my only sister, and I have a perfect right to call her. Anyway, Barney's in the hospital. Who's Barney? Clara's husband, when he was out looking for a job, he tripped over a bar rail and two cases of bourbon fell on his head. Well, it's the first time the drinks were ever on him. How can you say that? Barney's not cheap. He takes good care of Clara. She has a lovely home, and they've got money for everything. Oh, sure, money for everything. Don't sneer. Last week, Clara had her tonsils taken out, and Venetian blinds put in. With a mouth like hers, they could do it. If that bum Barney isn't working, where do they get the dough? Accident insurance. He's collected a fortune on accident insurance. Every time Clara has a baby, he jumps off the roof. What? He doesn't hurt himself too bad, just enough to collect the insurance. You haven't got any, have you, John? No, I don't want to talk about it. I want to sleep. But suppose something happens to you. What if you have an accident and you can't work? We'll starve. We're starving now. That's too bad. It's easy for you to talk like that. If anything happened, I'd be left helpless and destitute. Why don't you get some accident insurance, John? I'll get some next week. You say it, but you won't do it. Why don't you get it now? What? Go on. Get up. Get some accident insurance. 
Blanche, are you out of your mind? It's almost 3 o'clock in the morning. Well, people have accidents all hours of the night. I'm not going to have any accidents tonight. How do you know? Blanche, why don't you let me sleep? Well, just promise me you'll get some accident insurance. Why? Because it's a wonderful protection. Clara told me two weeks ago a man broke his hip and he got $5,000. Last week, Barney fractured his skull and got $10,000. Well, what about it? Next week, you may be the lucky one. Good night, Blanche. Good night, John. You pilots, get off of my lawn! We're trying to do a radio show down here! It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on! Go on, get out of here! <laughs>